If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 again this Sunday. Uh, we're also going to be in some other places, so be ready to turn. Because we're going to, uh, I'm going to mention something out of the Gospel of John that kind of goes along. In my, in my mind, it, it, it's a perfect, because of where we're at in Hebrews, it's a perfect thing to go look at. And uh, I've talked about it before, but most of y'all don't remember, so I can, I can you know, preach about it again. Uh, it, it amazes me how quick we, we forget things, and there's so much in the Bible that I want to teach and preach, and it can be overwhelming when you feel like you don't have much time uh, as far as we only have you know, Sunday mornings where we can get a decent amount of people coming in, and, and I, I want to preach everything, but our small minds can only handle so much, and, you know, it needs to be effective, so uh, smaller portions, and then as a, as a minister, you hope that people are uh, encouraged, and the curiosity is there to where they want to get into the Word of God on their own throughout the week. Uh, I was talking to uh, a lady just the other day, and she knows that she should be in church. She goes to church every now and then, but she has so many questions. And, and I was just encouraging her to get into the Bible. You know, it, it, people think they don't open their Bibles until they go to church. And that's just so wrong. We need to have the Word of God ready to be opened on a daily basis. And, you know, your schedule might not allow for you to read much, but then, uh, you know, there might be a certain day where you can read a little more to make up for not reading every single day, but it's a good idea to at least read something every day. And so I just hope that um, you're in the Word on your own so that when you're out in the world that you're actually speaking the Word of God in your everyday talk. You know, when you speak to people, just Bible stuff needs to just come out. And, um, you know, I, I watched the movie Nefarious again last night. Uh, if you don't remember, the movie Nefarious, now there's been other movies in the past called Nefarious, but... There's a book that was written right about the time COVID hit. And the man who wrote the book, his name is Steve Dace. He lives in the Midwest. Uh, it's called Nefarious Plot. And he sees the things that are happening in this country, just like uh, Betty was talking about uh, during the uh, Joys and Concerns time. He sees the destruction of this country 
in that we as a people don't know the Word of God very well, and it's getting worse and worse over time. How we, uh, we have pushed God out of all parts of our uh, life, and there is an enemy that is very willing to come and fill the void. And we've seen it happen. So that movie, if you haven't seen it, it is now live streaming, which is a thing that I do not do. But Todd does. So uh, I, I, I was keeping him updated on it, and it started live streaming, and I told him about it, and he's you know, on it. So I went over there last night, and we watched the movie. He was blown away by it. He was very impressed. It is intense. It shows that the demons or the workers of the devil know the Word of God better than any of us. And they use that knowledge against us. They know how to manipulate it, turn it around. And this lawyer, not a lawyer, he's a psychiatrist that goes into the prison where this nefarious character is. And nefarious is the name of a devil who has possessed a man and he goes through the whole explanation of how they get into a person. It takes time. And they do it so incrementally that no one really notices it. And eventually they get to the point where they can absolutely possess a person and cause that person to do things they don't want to do. And that's what the movie is about. A man who's on death row and this psychiatrist has to go in and declare whether this man is insane, which, which is what has been done in previous times to where he does not go to the death penalty. But the demonic being that's inside of him wants the death penalty, but the person does not. And some of the things that are talked about throughout are the things that we're dealing with as a society in this country. The, the demon is, 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 has told the psychiatrist that before you leave here today, you will have committed three murders. And the psychiatrist is like, this guy, he's, he's out there. So the, so the, the demon is actually bringing up a situation where this psychiatrist has, and I'm, I'm ruining the movie for you, I don't really care. I've watched it twice, and I would watch it again. If you ordered it and you tell me that you're watching it, let me know and I'll come over and watch it with you again. Because you pick up a little bit more each time you watch something. So this psychiatrist has, because his mother lived in Oregon, it was legal for his mother to go through assisted suicide, and he had to sign off on it. So he, this demon convinced this psychiatrist that you, because you weren't willing to wait anymore on the millions of dollar estate, that you were very happy inside, 
that she went ahead and died now, and you can gain that inheritance sooner than later. And you could tell it bothered him extremely bad that he had touched on something that was, he thought was hidden just inside of him, and he got very angry with it. And he was going to storm out, but he ended up turning around and coming back and gathered himself, and he sat down at the table, and this, this nefarious demon looked at him and said, James, are you ready for round two? And he said, I didn't know we were in a fight. And the fairy said, that's why you're losing, James. We are in a spiritual fight in this country. Now, round two was this person sitting here who, who should have no idea about this psychiatrist's life. He said, so how's uh, Melanie doing? And he looked, turned around and looked at him like, what are you talking? What do you mean? Well, that was this psychiatrist's girlfriend. She had gotten pregnant by him. She thought they were going to lose the relationship because of that. And he, they convinced each other that abortion was the best way. She thought that that's going to preserve the relationship, but he was planning on breaking up with her anyway, and this nefarious was telling him the whole story, and everything he said was true. And at that very moment, this psychiatrist's little son inside of his girlfriend's womb was being aborted. And he explained, this demon was explaining Moloch and Moloch holding his hands out and how the babies were placed on his arms and how they rolled off the hot arms into the fire because it was better to fall into the fire and burn up and be dead than to be on those hot arms. And he said, the abortion, you don't hear the screams and the cries. He said, back, back then in ancient times, they would play the drums and beat all those drums so where you couldn't hear the babies crying. But he said, now they're inside of their mother's wombs and they can't, you can't hear them screaming, but they're being mutilated, torn to pieces inside. And he, so James, the psychiatrist, he was just getting very, very upset because he started to realize that he was a murderer. And of course, by the end of the movie, he signs off for this person to be executed. So as he was walking out after signing it, he said, and that's number three. It's, it's, it's one of the best movies I have ever witnessed and it tells the story of this country in an hour and a half. And how far removed from the Word of God we have become. How we pushed God out. Now here's a book that I've been reading from Jonathan Kahn called The Return of the Gods. My mom's reading it. And, oh, a, a guy that I just a little work for, he just read it recently. And this is what happens when a nation pushes God out. The devil is very, very willing to fill the void. And it happens in all kinds of different ways, and it progresses. And what you will see, if you go back in, into ancient times, when uh, you, can, you can go back to Rome, you can go back to all the 
pagan societies that were around when uh, uh, the nation of Israel was getting ready to go to the promised land, which we've been studying in, on Wednesday nights going through the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> but the little g gods have come in to this country. You know, this country was founded on biblical values. The men who started this country feared God. When little kids went to school in the 1700s and 1800s, the Bible was the number one textbook in the schools, in the public schools. A lot of uh, founding fathers were homeschooled, self-taught, and they read the Bible all the time. Even men who never professed salvation through Jesus Christ knew that they needed to know the Word of God and that there was a higher power that was in control and you needed to do it His way. And if you did it His way and you honored Him in all things, He protected you. But mankind has a free will and, they, and a man can say, I don't want your protection, I want to push God away, I want to be more free to do the things I want to do, it always leads to destruction. When we push God out, the sneaky devil is there waiting to come in. And remember, he knows the Word of God way better than you do, and he will come in and he will pretend to be something good, and then he'll get you off course and keep leading you further and further away. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, before we read in uh, Hebrews 9, I want to read something to you about our Lord and Savior. You know, he, he, he came into this world, he was not received very well, and he was actually taken, and he was killed, and he was put in a tomb... And he did not stay there. Now we know that when uh, the morning of his resurrection that the women went out and they were heading to the tomb. And then um, Mary Magdalene, she had come to the tomb and she saw the angels inside. And then, when this, this is uh, John 20, verse 15, Jesus, she didn't know this was Jesus, but Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seeketh thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. At that moment, she recognized who he was. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend 
unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Now notice 19. Then the same day at evening, so later that same day, that he had just told her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. And then he told her, Go to my brethren, go to them and tell them all that you've heard and seen. And then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad that they saw the Lord. Now if you go over to Matthew's account, uh, in that situation, uh, you will see where Jesus was showing them the marks in his hands and they, and they were holding on to his feet. So, the same day that he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch, no touching, I gotta go. Don't hold me up, I gotta go, I've yet to ascend to my Father. Now, Hebrews 9. We've already read all of this last week. I think I read every word in Hebrews 9. I can't remember if I went all the way through to the very end, but I, I'm pretty sure I did. We, nine is talking about the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness and how it was made with just human effort and materials. And it was a type and picture of the true Holy of Holies and, and the, the holy place that was in heaven. So I'm going to start reading in, uh, in verse 11 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. So there is a tabernacle that's greater and more perfect that was not built by man's hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by, your, by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. Are you getting that? He entered in once to this tabernacle that's not made with hands, and it wasn't the blood of goats and calves, but it was his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctified the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, how, how much more will that purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator, of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption and transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. 
For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, listen very closely. It was therefore necessary that the patterns... Notice we have, we have seen the signifying and the figure. Now the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, that the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So what did Jesus do on that day when he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch me, I have yet to ascend to the Father? I think by what I'm reading here that Jesus went to Calvary, he walked up on that hill, he went to the base of the cross, he took his blood and went to the Father in heaven went into the outer courts, went into the holy place, and went into the holy of all, the most holy of all, the holy of holies, and he took his blood and put on the true mercy seat that the cherubim are looking inward and downward on and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And God the Father looked on that and said, that blood is sufficient for the salvation of mankind. And then Jesus was able to come back down here and actually touch, be with the people, eat a meal with them, because he had once and for all gone to the Holy of Holies in heaven and had sprinkled his blood. I think that's what happened that day, by what I'm reading right here. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. <clears throat> now one of the scenes in the movie Nefarious, James, who said he was an atheist, he didn't believe in none of that stuff, 
And Nefarious was laughing at him. <laughs> like, really? You think being an atheist and just denying all this is going to protect you? And James said, well, explain it all to me. Explain it all. You say you know all of this better than any human. Just explain it to me. And he's looking at a man who's about ready to die through electrocution. But he gets to talk to Edward. He gets to talk to him a couple times in the movie. Nefarious allows Edward to speak to him. And Edward is a way different person than Nefarious. And then Nefarious takes back over. And James says, explain all of this to me. And Nefarious explains all of, all of the things that were happening and had happened in the past. The fall of the angels. How, how God, he said, and he would never say God. He would say the enemy. And Nefarious would never say Jesus because he, he told James early that names have power. Names mean something. And he wouldn't say Jesus. He would say the carpenter. He said, he said the enemy cheated. And then the carpenter showed up. And then he finally said the best line in the whole movie. He said, our, after explaining it in perfect detail, explaining how everything is working, he said, the cross was our greatest mistake. The cross was our greatest mistake. Well spoken from a worker of the devil. They thought they were getting rid of him. And, and he said that, you know, he's like, well, why are you punishing men? Why are you so adamant about destroying men, people? And the Pharisee said, our true goal is to hurt him, talking about God. That's our true goal. And we know that you people are made in his image, and he wants relationship with you, and when we get you off on the wrong path. And he talked about all the ways they got people off, and then he started talking about some other things, uh, like hate speech. And he said, some things we didn't even come up with. Y'all came up with it on your own. You, you actually amaze us sometimes. But he said the main goal was to hurt him. And we knew if we took you down, it would hurt him. Now I'm going to read a little bit out of Ephesians. We've got a few minutes. Um, all right, I'm going I'm to go to the middle of this. This, this is Ephesians. If, you want, if you're quick and you want to turn there, you can turn there. This is Ephesians chapter 5. Notice the words here. This is, this is 526, and it says, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. He's talking about, this is, this is Paul was talking about what Jesus wanted to do with the church. You know what the church is? It's us being part of the body of Christ. That's the real church. When I say the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about individuals. Each and every one of you, if you are a true born-again child of God, you are part of the body of Christ. That He might, Jesus might, sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the Word. You are washed, washed. 
You, how you know how to live as a Christian is the Word of God right here. And you're washed by it. Now, your salvation came from hearing about the Word of God, and you, your sins were washed away, but that's you personally, you individually, must be washed with the blood of Jesus. That's what cleanses you of your sins. Now, as a church, we are washed in the water, which is the Word. See the difference? That He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, as far as the church is concerned, and look, look at what this is stuck right in the middle of. Have you noticed it? This is stuck right in the middle of marriage between a man and a woman. Do you see it? All right, so we're going to back up. And this is very doctrinal book of Ephesians. We are in 20, it says, uh, we are to be giving thanks. This is, this is after speaking to ourselves in hymns, uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is going to seem like a very carnal, human thing that we're, we're to do, but this is way deeper than that. Uh, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting, each one of us submitting. Now, now this is talking about uh, the married life. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, has that been attacked by our society like nothing else? I mean, it, that has been attacked big time. That nefarious dude that's in that movie, he comes around and he starts to give women their freedom. And you can do, you're, you be your own woman. Don't, don't let anybody boss you around. You need to be on your own, independent. It's all a trick of the devil. It's all a trick of the devil. To get you separated from the body of Christ, to get you out alone, and then the, uh, the wolves always go after the weakest one. The lions are always preying on the one that's lagging behind. And if he can get you separated and thinking that you're better off by being, being your own person, and then he will sneak in and he will get you. Husbands, 25, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Now that's an amazing love. It's a sacrificial love. You are willing to die for your wife. There's nothing more precious 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. So I already read all of that. Then, then if you get past what we already read in 27, now at 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Now, has that been attacked in this society that we live in? That a man should be married to a woman, and that's the only way it works. Well, marriage has been... Why, why would... Why would the devil attacked marriage so hard. And ever since the 60s, which this book gets into, this, uh, The Return of the Gods, in the 60s, that's when feminism really took off. And why get married? <clears throat> and if you were married, Satan's coming after you, and he was going to make it to where you would want to divorce. And divorce started happening big time in the 60s. It coincided with getting the Bible out of schools and getting prayer out of schools. That's what had happened. Why would marriage be attacked so hard? Why would Satan go, we got to mess that up? Because right here in the Bible, it is comparing a man and a woman coming together as Christ coming together with the church and becoming one. So... The percentage of marriages, period, in this country today has gone down tremendously. People just don't get married anymore. The men look at it as, they're going to leave me after a few years and take half of what I have. The women can't find manly men. They, can't, they, they, they walk around acting like they don't want a manly man. <clears throat> but they can't find a manly man to marry. They're getting exactly what they say they want, but really it's not what they really want. Most women won't let their husbands rule anything. They won't even let them rule their own houses and wonder why they can't lead in anything else. And men don't love their wives like Christ loved the church. And it's all part of Satan's plan to separate the man and the woman. Because if he can do that, he's separating the picture of getting you away from Christ. It's working really well, and it frustrates me so bad to watch it all happen. When I, when I was growing up, watching all my friends, their parents separating and divorcing, watching all that happen throughout my life, and very seldom do you see anybody wanting to truly get married, a man and a woman. You will hear more about a man wanting to get married to a man and a woman wanting to get married to a woman. You hear about that more than you hear about a man and a woman wanting to be married. I'm turning to 1 Thessalonians. We're almost done. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Read a little bit and then we'll be finished. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Do you hear that? When you believe the Word of God, it effectually changes you. You will be different. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like, like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. Listen, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So these Jews, or any, not, not just Jews, but anybody who tells you that you don't need to push your faith on anybody else, don't be bringing that Bible stuff in here, don't be praying in the name of Jesus, are you being forbidden to speak about godly things? If you speak against a little kid being taken to a doctor to be changed physically because they say they're not, a boy says they're a girl, or a girl says they're a boy, if you say anything against that, you're canceled. If you say anything about a man married a man, you are canceled. Now, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. We are being shut up as believers in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, people might not get saved. To fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. I recommend watching the Nefarious movie. It's intense, it's tough. If you don't like scary stuff, it, it, it might, you have bad dreams sometimes, you know, it might be tough on you, but pray before you watch it. And uh, read a book like this, The Return of the Gods, and you'll see how it, it's all playing out. But most importantly... Read your Bibles. Please read the good Word of God. Satan's got a plan, and he wants to hinder us, and he is using all kinds of people in this world that think they're free. They're free. There's more slaves in the world today than there were at any other time in history. But we think we're free. Satan is doing a very good job at what he does best, 
And we are doing a very poor job of recognizing it and fighting against it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to wake up. Help us to be not afraid of being persecuted for standing on your word. Help us to be bold. Help us to trust your word. And Father, give us the opportunities to share your love with those who need to know you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.